Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. A serious collision between an unmarked police car and a motorbike is under investigation tonight after the rider suffered critical head injuries. The crash marked the end of an alleged pursuit through Sydney's inner west with a 16-year-old boy in custody and another fighting for life. We just want the truth and I think any parent, um, any parent out there, if this happened to um, their child, you, you just want to know the truth. We had the police commissioner for Redfern um, come in to the hospital. I, I trusted him when he sat down in front of us. Um, we believed he was being honest with us. He told us we could call him at any time. And he gave us the version of events that, um, that he was told. And he was told that um, Jai was riding a motorbike down a bike, a, a bike lane and an unmarked police car was coming the opposite way and turned in front of him, and he collided with um, the police car. Jai's bike collided with the police car. Later on that day, um, they sent an independent, uh, or what they call an independent investigator, um, to come and talk to us. He gave a different version of events. He said that the unmarked police car was parked behind an Uber and that Jai drove and lost control over a bump and basically went airborne into the car. As soon as we heard that, we obviously we were told something different before, but that just didn't match up, just didn't, didn't sound right to us. I think independent investigation says it all, doesn't it? I mean, to be an independent investigation, you can't be a police officer. You can't be a police officer investigating other police officers. That just doesn't make sense to me. It needs to be actually independent. You know, I just want to know the truth. Good evening. Uh, that was the father of a 16-year-old Dungati teenager, Jai Wright, who succumbed to injuries after colliding with an unmarked police car and tragically died in hospital Sunday afternoon. Now, I just want to make clear before we get on with the show is that the family of Jai has allowed the use of his name in the media. And I would also like to thank uh, NITV for that uh, grab that I picked up off Twitter this afternoon. Um, They're doing great coverage of this story. So the story goes that uh, around 7.30 on Saturday morning, the Saturday morning just passed, Jai was riding a trail bike in Alexandria in Sydney's south when he was struck by an unmarked police car. He died of severe and sustained head injuries. Now, I'm quoting another NITV report here when I say, in a public statement, New South Wales police officers from the Inner West Police Area Command cited two suspected stolen vehicles, a black Mercedes and a blue 2019 Sherco trail bike near the intersection of Enmore Road and King Street in Newtown at around 7 a.m. Jai, who was travelling on the bike, was last seen by those officers turning right onto Sydney Park Road in Alexandria. Shortly after 7.35am, he collided with an unmarked police vehicle and was ejected from the bike. 
Now, it still remains unclear, as you just heard, as to whether the police were pursuing Jai. There are conflicting reports, uh, as there often are during tragedies like this. But what is clear is that another Aboriginal child is dead after coming in contact with the justice system. Now, Jai's family is calling for an independent investigation into the incident. Now, it looks like that may actually happen in New South Wales. In 2017, they established a Law Enforcement and Conduct Commission, which is apparently independent from police and a watchdog separate from police with its own structures and parliamentary committees that it is answerable to. But I think it's also really important to remind ourselves that if this death was deemed in custody, as it were, in New South Wales, it is then the police who are responsible for investigating the death and preparing a brief of evidence for the coroner, a case of police investigating police. This is still happening in 2022, and in despite of a New South Wales parliamentary inquiry established at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement that unanimously recommended that future investigations into deaths in custody be referred to the Law Enforcement and Conduct Commission. And this wasn't a parliamentary committee that was made up of some sort of lefty loving. No, it was comprised of Liberal, Labor, Greens, Nationals and One Nation parliamentarians. And those recommendations were put to the New South Wales government and they were rejected by the New South Wales government. So let's hope that this investigation is at arm's length and let's hope it's done through the Law Enforcement and Conduct Commission um, because we can't have police investigating police and we're here to support the family in calling for that and making sure that any investigation into this matter is independent. Now, here in Victoria, we have a range of protocols in place that I won't go into now, but um, I'll get someone from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service on the show soon to tell us about it. But it is a slightly better set of circumstances when there is a death in custody, not that any circumstance of death in custody is acceptable. Now, of course, I don't want to say anything that will hinder the investigation into this particular matter, but I wanted to, what I want to do say, what I do say, and so I want to get everyone's head around that is listening to this broadcast to pause and reflect as to why people, my people, our people, continue to die around the various justice systems in this country. And then we need to ask ourselves what is actually being done because it just keeps happening and it is unacceptable and hearts break everywhere and our hearts go out to Joy's family in this very difficult time. So on the show tonight, um, along those lines, similar to what I've just mentioned, I'll be speaking with uh, Latoya Aroa Rural, who has been leading a campaign to ban the use of spit hoods. Now, sp spit hoods, which we'll go into detail about later, are still used in the Northern Territory and Western Australia, despite a Royal Commission recommending their ban years ago now. So we'll go into detail about that campaign and how we can all become involved in that campaign. Um, now, just shortly, as advertised, we were going to speak with um, Marie Mankara, Marie, an exhibition called Tiwi Heroes, World War II Encounters, but she's had to cancel due to circumstances beyond her control. So we wish her well, but we also want to get her back on the show another time to go through that exhibition. Uh, but we have another great discussion lined up with uh, Shakara Little L Hunt, 
who is a researcher involved with a groundbreaking research project developed in response to concerns from the Aboriginal LGBTQA plus community about the lack of data around their mental health and the service provisions that can be actually established around data being actually developed and ascertained around their mental health. So it should be, hopefully, another illuminating show. Thanks to Vaughan for Double Bounce, but this is the mission on Triple R 102.7 FM, live from Radio City Docklands. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Now, a project led by um, Aboriginal LGBTQA plus researchers examining the mental health of young Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander LGBTQA plus people is launching a nationwide survey to help drive meaningful change for the community. The Walken Katajin Rainbow Knowledge, as it translates project, was developed in response to concerns from the Aboriginal LGBTQA plus community about a lack of data on their mental health and the fact that many do not receive the same level of social support and healthcare as others in the community. Now, the project aims to better understand what causes poor social, emotional wellbeing and mental health in the community and what can be done to improve it and then work with health services across the country to remove barriers to accessing support. Uh, One of the lead researchers on the project is um, Shakara Little-Owl-Hunt. She is a research assistant assistant on the Walken Cutagen Project, which aims to explore the mental health and wellbeing of Aboriginal people, as I've just explained, through um, a research project and explore the LGBTQI plus uh, young people and the needs that they have around uh, mental health. She is a Wajauri Yamachi woman who grew up in Noongar country and she holds a Bachelor of Philosophy with first class honours in Anthropology and Sociology from the University of Western Australia, which means she's got far more qualifications than I do. Um, Shakara, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. How did the project come about? What What was the initiating factor? Look, it was really neat to identify by the community, right? Um, So a conversation between activists, including members of our own team who are obviously involved in this community, um, basically saying that there really is not enough support available. And in order to be able to provide that, we actually kind of need to know what's going on with the mental health of Aboriginal LGBTQ young mob. And we just have no information right now. Yeah, so what what is it that, um, I don't want to come all over sort of Donald Rumsfeld here, but what are the known unknowns and what are the unknown unknowns, if you know what I mean? What, yeah, what is it that right. we don't know that we're looking for? So basically what we do know um, is that for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people and also for LGBTQA plus young people, there's a higher risk of poor mental health and poor social emotional wellbeing because of things like discrimination, intergenerational trauma, all those kind of nasty systemic issues. Um, what we don't know is the, what happens at this intersection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of no data about if you are Aboriginal and you are LGBTQA, are you healthy? Are you struggling with mental health? You know, we really have no information about that, um, particularly at a national level. So there have been some studies done recently in Western Australia with adults, which off the top of my head confirmed that there is a higher risk. But like I said, that, that's kind of the unknown. Now, there are a number of organisations that are involved in, in this project. Um, tell us about some of those. 
Great. So the study itself is being run by Kobadi Aboriginal Centre um, at Murdoch University, Kurungal Kutajan at Eads Cowan University and the Telephone Kids Institute. Um, but we also have community partners, which is um, Wanchening Aboriginal Corporation over here in Perth, Yorgham Healing Services, First People's Rainbow Mob, SHQ, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island Community Health Service over in Brisbane and Elizabeth Morgan House. Um, and we've got support from Nuncor and Yunti and the Aboriginal Medical Services Alliance in the Northern Territory. That's fantastic. Um, just want to vouch for the tremendous work that Elizabeth Morgan House do um, day in, day out here in Melbourne. They are a, um, an absolute uh, gun service and they provide help to so many needy, needy um, people within our community. So I'd um, just like to give them a, a shout out. Um, now, oh, absolutely fantastic. They are, they are brilliant. And they, and they, they run it on an oily rag. They run it on an oily rag. And so if you want to get along and support them in some shape or form, dear listener, please do. Um, now, the um, some of the structures that have been put in place around the project um, look pretty rigorous to me. Um, tell us about uh, the, the youth group that will be um, the youth advisory group that will be looking um, over the project and, and the other governance committee of uh, respected Aboriginal LGBTQI plus people in the community? Yeah, so our youth advisory group is basically Aboriginal LGBTQ people, 14 to 25, so the community that we're researching, right? Um, because with any research, it's important to have the people that you're kind of studying there in the room actually informing what's going on. So they meet kind of every couple of months when we really have something to discuss. They've reviewed all of our publications and papers and been a co-author on our most recent publication, which I'm so excited about. Um, and, yeah, they're just really great group of young mob from across the country. We're currently recruiting more YAG members. We just always love to have more people involved. So if anyone's interested, they can have a look on our website, www.rainbowknowledge.org, um, which kind of gives details of how to get in contact if you want to be involved in that. Um, and like you mentioned, we also have a governance committee. So that's all adults who are also Aboriginal and LGBTQ. Um, a lot of people who work in health services or in activism. Um, yeah, just really great, really involved in the community and provide a tremendous amount of advice of how to actually do this research the right way. And it's and it's, it's Australia-wide, isn't it? You're speaking to people um, Australia-wide, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So what was the website, again, if people want to um, get involved in the project? No worries. It's um, www.rainbowknowledge.org, um, or you can just give me a phone call on 0863191062. Always happy to have you on. Fantastic. Um, when are we expecting the report to be finalised and to hear back about some of the results, or at least some of the preliminary results? Um, in terms of preliminary results, we actually started off by yarning with Young Mob just here in Perth to kind of get an idea of what's going on, what questions do we need to be asking in the survey. Um, so that's currently available. That's also up there on the website, and you can have a read through that, and it just talks a bit about people's experiences and what they kind of need. Mm -hmm. The survey results, this kind of national mental health one, I'm going to say late this year. Um, it would be nice. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, the survey will be open for another couple of weeks, probably April it'll close, um, and then it'll just be a case of analysing the data and actually making sure that when we write the report it's something community is happy with. So we just need to really put the time into making sure that it's solid. 
Absolutely. You've got to get these things right because you don't get too many chances to do something like this. Um, so if you want to be involved in the survey, go to rainbowknowledge.org.au and um, you can follow the links there. Um, what else? I mean, in terms of some of the preliminary data that you've you've gone back, uh, Shakara, what are some of the prohibitive factors to to LGBTQA people getting access to to services? What what, what are you hearing? I mean, the first one that we talk about a lot anecdotally is just kind of being scared to walk in the front door, right? Which sure. might be the case with some of our Aboriginal community controlled organisations, although to be um, fair in the yarns that we had with people over here, not many people had had bad experiences, so that's really great. Um, it can also be, you know, walking into your LGBT health service and having them be really racist, or maybe yep. you just go to see a general practitioner and they're fine, but they don't really know how to relate or to talk about what it is that you're experiencing. Um, and that kind of feeling of just not being able to fully relate and bring your whole self and get care for, you know, you as a whole person because no one can kind of understand all of these different facets of who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the great things is that we have, um, you know, a really strong community-controlled health sector and we have a broader health sector that I think is really open to hearing some of these stories. And so the, the research that um, that you're conducting is absolutely um, vital. And, um, you know, I, I, I believe that, um, it'll, that the findings will be welcome and, and, and welcome with open hearts because I think um, people, people genuinely care about these issues and they actually genuinely want to, to do something about it. Is that the sense that you have? Oh, absolutely. Like, we've just had so much support, you know, from our Aboriginal community-controlled health organisations, which is amazing, um, and also from a bit, some of the Noongar elders here in Perth, which actually having, like, sitting down and having a yarn with them and just hearing all of the support, amazing. Best experience by far of this whole project. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like it's a very empowering project for um, everyone involved, which is great. Um, if you want to be involved um, in the survey, if you want to complete the survey, and if you're aged between 14 and 25 and you're an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander LGBTQA TQA person, um, go along to rainbowknowledge.org.au and uh, follow the links there. Um, Shikari, we might get you back on the show once um, uh, you said December, didn't you? So we'll get you definitely back on the show in December to give, back, give us back the refinings, the findings of the survey and the report. Is that a deal? Beautiful. Look forward to it. <laughs> thank you so much for your time and um, uh, thank you for the work for the work that you do. Um, are you working on anything else at the moment or is it just this? Um, I guess I can say we're also working on designing some inclusivity training for our community-controlled organisation, so I'm really excited to launch that. Oh, fantastic. Well, um, when, when's that going to be launching? That'll be another couple of years. It's a long <laughs> process of, again, building it up from the ground and making sure that it's going to be really right all the way through. Okay. We'll get you back on the show in December, and then we'll get you, we'll get you back in uh, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, and um, best of luck to you. Great. Thanks so much. Triple R. I do encourage you to get along to that treaty day out if you're in the uh, Shepherd and Marapuna area um, coming up. I think it's um, this weekend, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I should be listening to my own voiceovers more carefully. Um, but um, I think it's going to be a big year for, for treaty, and hopefully it's going to be a big year for uh, the Uruk Justice Commission as well, um, despite some 
uh, goings-on there with uh, a bit of a shake-up of uh, the staff with the CEO leaving um, in, uh, you know, controversial circumstances. So hopefully that commission can get uh, its act together shortly because the work that they're going to be doing is vitally important, not only for treaty but for the history of this place we now know as Victoria. Um, at the top of that uh, bracket, we had Gloves with Hilmi and that uh, last song was The Last Time by Black Dub, an um, outfit led by Daniel Lanoir, one of uh, my favourite Musicians, as you probably very well know if you listen to this show. Um, again, if you want to get involved with uh, that uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander LGBTQA survey, um, just head along to rainbowknowledge.org.au because the information that you provide if you're an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander between the ages of 14 and 25 is vitally important to service provision for uh, your mob and our mob and making sure that we get that service provision right. We don't want to leave anyone behind in our community. We're an inclusive community. And by going through and uh, completing that survey and um, having a yarn with the researchers, if you feel so inclined, you'll be doing a great service, not only hopefully for yourself, but for the rest of uh, the community. I'm going to play another track now before we get on to our next guest, Latoya Arora Rule, who will talk about uh, the movement to ban spit hoods. Uh, but you're listening to 102.7 Triple R FM. My name's Daniel. Uh, now to our, uh, to our next guest. Um, recently, Northern Territory News reported new data showing 21 instances of young people being spit hooded by police in 2021 including a 13-year-old child. Officers used restraint chairs on six children during this time. The data shows there was a major spike using spit hoods by police, watch and by police in watch houses in 2020. In 2019, a 12-year-old child was hooded. Almost all children in the Northern Territory youth justice system are Aboriginal, and that leads to a degree of speculation as to whether this is systemic racism. It is, it is if you ask me. Um, this so-called practice can occur, um, still occurs five years after the Royal Commission into the Protection and Detention of Young People in the Northern Territory recommended that spit hoods and restraints chairs be prohibited. Spit hoods are also used in Western Australia and are approved for use in other states. Uh, now, our next guest, Latoya Rua Rule, is a research associate at Jambani Institute and is part of the Banned Spit Hood Collective. Uh, they are a sibling of Wayne Fuller Morrison, who died after being held down by 12 police officers as he was forced into a spit hood, cuffed and put into a van face down. Tragically, he never regained consciousness. Uh, we thank uh, Latoya for being on the line with us now, and we thank her for her commitment to trying to ban spit hoods around the country. Latoya, uh, welcome to the mission. Thanks for having me tonight. No problems whatsoever. Let's start at the the very top of this. For those who don't know, what is a spit hood? So a spit hood is a type of, at least in South Australia, it was a type of mesh fabric device. Um, in different states and around the world, these vary. Some um, allow the person in the spit hood to see, um, some do not. But for the most part, they're secured around the neck and placed over the head usually with an elastic band. Um, and, of course, yeah, the, the type of person of, 
of who usually spearhoods are placed upon does vary. So it's not only in police and prison custody, it can be in mental health um, and medical centres. We know that Australia uses them in refugee detention centres as well for transporting people that way. So, yeah, they are they are used throughout Australia. And what is the theory behind their deployment? What, what, what are they designed to do? What, what are they trying to, to enforce upon the people that they're being used on? So we know that it's usually said, at least in youth detention settings for the most part, that these um, spithoods are used to calm people down, quote-unquote, um, but we know that they actually do the opposite and end up escalating situations and making people feel, you know, largely tortured. And we know that Amnesty um, found themselves that these devices actually violate the rights of the child and violate the Convention Against Torture, which Australia is party to. But we know that they're also used allegedly to, um, you know, stop somebody who has bad or is spitting um, from transmitting things like bloodborne viruses and diseases. Um, however, a lot of research around there from multiple health organisations across the world, particularly those who, you know, work on the issues of HIV, um, have already spoken to this issue of transmission and how that it's just so unlikely that something like a spit hood could actually stop that process from happening because the risk is so low regardless. Um, and even more so over the, the course of COVID, we've seen a report come out where there was speculation of whether or not the if there was saliva in the hood, if that could actually be transported because of the hood's existence and, you know, the saliva being transported in the hood to infect other people with COVID. So, in fact, it yes. may be that spit hoods are used as COVID transmitters um, to other yeah. people. So they're quite dangerous. Yeah, it's one of those uh, cases that you hear of in hospitals where we have uh, nurses and, and doctors and other healthcare professionals that um, are actually trained in dealing with PPE and uh, monitoring fellow health workers and actually uh, removing that uh, protective protection equipment. Um, so you can imagine, actually, that, um, yeah, the build-up of saliva or, or other substances within the spit hood would be a hazard to anyone that is not actually trained in dealing with um, such substances in a time of um, COVID. But I guess the mm. bottom line here, Latoya, is that uh, these are instruments of torture and they're being used on children in this country. That's right. Yep. Children, adults of any age, um, you know, again, in any space really across Australia, there are different jurisdictions that permit police to use these spit hoods and other restraints at their will. So that means, while I don't have any cases particularly to share at the moment because of the lack of monitoring or an oversight, which is another issue of the existence of these spit hoods, it may mean that the police figuratively do have the ability to employ a spit hood on somebody out on the street, for instance. And that could be anybody, whether they're Aboriginal or not. Um, and so... Yeah, I think what you mentioned there as well, my, my brother, for instance, is an Aboriginal nurse and he and I were speaking, obviously, about our brother's death and the use of the spit hood and where they're used. And he said, you know, he wears PPE. Doctors wear PPE, as you've just said. They've already got their protective gear. 
that they require um, in their in their jobs. And so the unions, you know, support their workers with PPE, and that includes corrections and police officers. So we really don't know why there is a lack of, um, you know, commitment to banning these in legislation when it's just so easy to do. It won't cost anything. I mean, it could be done right today, and we saw that in SA. Yeah. Now you've had a you've had a win recently in um in, in South Australia where they've come along and they've actually banned um, spit hoods. Um, when was that decision made and, and what was some of the justification around that decision? So that was made just last year in November. It was made after five years of campaigning um, and it was actually made straight after the Royal Commission, well, rather the bills were created straight after the Royal Commission into Don Dale in youth detention. Um, mm. And, you know, seeing young Dylan Boller being restrained on four corners with a spit hood in that chair obviously shocked multiple organisations and, and politicians and, you know, our communities across Australia to act. And thankfully, one of the politicians in South Australia, Connie Benaros from um, SA Best, did put forward two bills, um, or rather one bill and then some amendments um, for the ban of spit hoods in youth detention. But those actually failed to get up. And once they failed, it was after the fact also that Wayne died. So Wayne died in the same year that that Royal Commission report came out. And in fact, I was part of the organising group for, you know, the call to um, justice for those in Dondale, the call for justice of Dylan Voller. Um, and then months later in September 2016, obviously, Wayne was restrained himself and died because of in part through association with this spearhood. So from there, we've, we're still waiting for the inquest report to come out for my brother's death. It's been more than five years and the inquest just finished in October, November last year. Um, but over that process, you know, we built solidarity networks across Australia and, and obviously throughout South Australia with different politicians. The Liberals largely um, blanked us, ghosted us in our final moments of campaigning against this and refused to legislate the ban. Um, but thankfully, other parties came through and we got it through. Well, well done to you and well done to your family. I never cease to be amazed uh, with the strength of people within the community to actually stand up to the powers that be after the loss of a loved one and just relentlessly pursue a, a form of justice. Um, you mentioned the Liberals there in terms of, you know, ghosting you towards the end of um, the campaign. Yeah. How much is, I guess, the... The prison industrial complex involved in some of the decisions to do something about things like spit, spit hoods involved. I mean, on on paper, um, in terms of, I would suggest the vast majority of, of citizens, they would want these spit hoods gone, and yet they still persist, and they still persist after a royal commission. They still persist after that um, really confronting footage footage of. Uh, uh, Dylan Vola, um, Dondale still exists and Spithood still is, exists. What, what are some of the theories you have as to why no action is being taken here? I do, I do agree with you about the prison industrial complex and its expression throughout, um, you know, the, really the games that we have to play each day 
navigating these systems. And with the politicians, it's really easy to see, at least in our case in SA, that part of the reason why they didn't move on this issue was because the inquest was ongoing and because there, you know, were eight officers who refused to speak at all and took the... Um, the the claim against self-incrimination or really the right to silence to give any evidence of what happened to Wayne in that van. And so, you know, there are there's a lot of information um, out there for them to navigate, to choose what they care about, depending on party politics as well. And one thing in South Australia and the NT, which are largely connected in different ways, even like some of the social services, um, which is the interesting part of this that's come out but you know we know that some of those rely upon their party politics that they rely upon policies of for instance tough on crime um so if they're seen to be favoring you know a person who has passed in custody in any way minus the speakhold or not the the fact is is that they're not being seen to be punishing and punishable um as is their function we all know that you know, the state govern and they govern through punishment. And mm. one of the tools that they're using is the spearhood, but other tools is discourse or knowledge about us, um, about who we were, you know. And when we were sitting in ICU with my brother when he was on life support, brain dead, was the same moment that the head of corrections, the chief executive of corrections, went on TV and said, you know, that this is what's occurred. But he spoke about how the officers, were feeling about how they needed to take leave and, you know, how they were overcome with emotions. And, like, he, he really factored in their feelings, not about a spithood, not about the trauma or the torture or the violence or multiple officers. You know, there's 19 officers that are part of my brother's inquest. Like, it's, a, it's about the creation of who we are. So I... To answer it simply, I think it comes down to the fact that systemic racism just continues and these punishment methods actually teach us about how we should act and behave. And if we're not doing that, then we're cast out. Yeah, you, you, you kind of get the, the feeling, Latoya, you know, that during election years in some of our states and territories that it's increasingly dangerous to be a black follower or a person of, of colour um, in those states and um, other jurisdictions because the, the tough on crime mantra that just seems to be becoming louder and louder and more amplified with every election seems to just be a, a perennial threat for, for blackfellas and, and, and Aboriginal people, but also a perennial threat to actually getting any sort of form of justice. Now, you said you're at the inquest into uh, your brother Wayne Fellow Morrison's um, death is coming to an end. What, what, what do you want to see out of that inquest? To be honest, so as a researcher in my undergraduate thesis, um, not to be too academic, but I wrote at the end there, that I don't expect the state ever to dismantle itself. And so I don't make recommendations that pertain to it. So I don't expect, you know, that this inquest, for instance, is going to provide us anything that we really don't know because there's no evidence. And that's just systemically what's occurred with the silencing of who we are and the lack of care about our death. Um, but I do hope that from our inquest, some truths will come out for our own community and will actually assist us to mobilise more um, to, you know, make this movement grow and to actually have hope um, that 
you know, with what we've achieved already, that we can also target other issues occurring. You know, there was the issue with spithoods is that usually through their application, um, they're also used with brute force to mm. apply the spithood. Um, in our case, there's multiple officers in the cases around the world. There's been, you know, in the case of Mr. Daniel Prude, who passed away in America, an African-American man, you know, there was multiple officers involved, um, which is so likely in a lot of these cases. So we need to be not only speaking about speakers, we also need to be speaking about state brutality, systemic brutality, and how we're investing into these prisons and spaces that are killing us. Yeah. Yes, in, in, so, in so many ways, spithoods are just symp symptomatic of what is an increasingly brutal uh, justice system and, and prison system. Um, you, you talked about mobilisation. There is a campaign, the Ban Spithoods campaign. How, how do people get involved in that campaign, Latoya? Yeah, so if people want to go to actionnetwork.org forward slash Ban Spithoods nationally, um, or maybe just Google that in case I've gotten it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's what No, you got it right. Ahead there is. Um, and just join us in, you know, the very, very beginning of a national ban. We know that these bills need to go through in each state, that states have different communities because we're so diverse and have different needs um, within those communities who will be organising against this. So, you know, watch out for your local community um, groups that's going to be organising around the ban on spithoods. But for now, please sign our petition and stay up to date on, you know, social media and things like that. Speaking of social media, there is a hashtag. It's um, ban spithoods. Um, Latoya, this program will be available to uh, you and, and the campaign as it moves forward. Um, it's a vitally important campaign. It speaks to so much of what's wrong with uh, justice and politics and the way our people are treated in this country and have been treated in this country over um, a couple of hundred years now. Again, that um, website, if you want to get involved and sign the petition, is actionnetwork.org forward slash petitions forward slash ban dash spithoods dash hoods dot nationally. I think I might actually put that in the show notes just to make it um, easier for people. Exactly. But if you Google it, if you Google it, I'm sure it will come up um, quite readily. Um, Latoya, thank you so much for, um, for your strength. Thank you so much for your res resilience. And most of all, thank you for your leadership. And thank you for coming on the show tonight. Thank you for having me. It's been, yeah, really lovely to speak to you. Triple R. Uh, well, that's it for um, another episode of The Mission, um, episode 00000136. Uh, thank you to Shakara and Latoya for their time. It sounds like I've been hosting a uh, a Super Bowl mid-time concert, but I haven't. Um, thank you, Shakara and uh, Latoya. Um, if you want to get involved in the Band Spithoods campaign, um, follow me on the socials at Mr. DT James on Twitter. Um, I'll put a link to the petition in the show notes. But in around about 28 second times, you're going to be joined with the crazy funsters at Superfluity. And that's it from me. So for until next week, stay safe, stay strong and stay listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.